welcome to the podcast of Broadway Baptist Church in Lexington, Kentucky, and the preaching of Pastor Daniel Osmond, a biblical church centered on Christ. Well, that's the one thing I wish I could do. I wish I could sing. I cannot sing worth a lick, but hey, when I get to heaven, man, I'll be knocking it out because I will have a new body and a new voice is what I'm praying for. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to John chapter 3. We're going to read probably the most familiar passage in the Bible, John chapter 3, verse 16. Let's read the Word of God. Jesus said this, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Let's pray. Hey, Junior, could you hit me up a little bit more on this, please? Appreciate it. Lord, thank you that we can say it is well with my soul. Even when we lose loved ones like the writer of that song did, he was still able to say it was well with his soul. Father, I pray right now for those that don't know you, don't have that kind of unshakable relationship with you. I pray, God, that you speak to them right now. You make it crystal clear how much you love them and you will change them forever. We thank you for what you're going to do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 1965, the number one hit song for the entire year was by the Rolling Stones. And the song was, I can't get no satisfaction. The words go, though I've tried and I've tried and I've tried. That song hit the top of the charts again in the early 90s when the Rolling Stones were doing their Voodoo Lounge tour. Went to number one again. And when I saw that happen, I thought, why would a song be so popular in the 60s and also in the 90s? Because you're talking about two totally different generations. And I got to look at the group, I got to look at the words, and it dawned on me. It doesn't matter from which generation to which generation you go to, people are looking for satisfaction in their lives. People are looking for that void to be filled. Now, just, just think about this. Whether you like them or not, the Rolling Stones are one of the most popular groups of all time. I mean, their music spans, what, six or seven decades? I, I, do you realize they're old enough to be my grandpa, and they are still out there singing. They can't find any satisfaction, though they have tried and they have tried and they have tried. But let me ask you a question. What, what makes you think if you just have a little bit more money, that's going to give you satisfaction? If you can just buy a new home or a bigger home or a brand new car, that's going to give you satisfaction. Listen, if money would solve all your problems, then you tell me why there have been millionaires that have committed suicide in the past. If money would solve everything. I mean, stones have money. They can do whatever they want to. You said, Ronnie, it's not about the money. It's relationships. If, Ronnie, if, if my spouse could just get their act together, everything would be fine. Listen. If a marriage would solve your problems, then Elizabeth Taylor would have been the happiest woman that ever walked on this planet. And J-Lo would be number two. I don't even know what marriage she's on now. I don't know how many, because she, she also gets engaged and breaks them off. I, I don't know. But listen, a, a marriage is not going to solve your problems. The only one that's going to give you true peace and true satisfaction, his name is Jesus. And Jesus showed us in John chapter 3, verse 16, how you and I can have true peace and true satisfaction. Look at me what he says in verse 16. Jesus says this. First of all, he says, for God so loved the world. Now look at y'all. 
Some of y'all just sitting there yawning. It's like, Ronnie, do, do you know who we are? I mean, this is a Tuesday night. We, of course, we, we know God. We love God. I've grown up my whole life you know, in church, Ronnie. I've grown up in vacation Bible school. I know that song, Jesus Loves Me, This I Know. For the Bible tells me so. Ronnie, what you're saying, I already know that. But you've got to understand who Jesus was talking to. He was talking to a man by the name of Nicodemus, who was a very religious man. And when Jesus said, for God to love the world, the Greek word is cosmos, the entire world. You know what that meant? That means he loves the Jews and the Gentiles, the good people and the bad people, people that go to church, people don't go to church. I want you to know here tonight, God loves you and God cares about you unconditionally. And you might feel like that nobody loves you, nobody cares about you. Maybe you've been abandoned by your spouse. Maybe you were abandoned by your parents. Maybe your best friend stabbed you in the back. I want you to know tonight that God loves you and God cares about you unconditionally. When I was in college at uh, Oklahoma Baptist University in Shawnee, right there, not too far from Tulsa, um, what, we had a professor tell us a story. Something happened one time. He said there was a classroom of about three or 400 students in the classroom, and the professor walked in one day, and he said something every student hates to hear. He said, uh, we're having a time test today. And it was in one of those uh, amphitheater-type setting type of deals, you know, where it's a, a half-semicircular room, and the desks were in rows, and they go all the way to the top of the room, you know. So he said, okay, uh, everybody, uh, he passed out the test. You have one hour to take this test, begin taking them now. So all the students got the pencils out, started hurrying up, trying to you know, answer as many questions as they could. While they were doing that, the professor walked over to his desk, opened up his briefcase, started working on some stuff. An hour goes by. It's up. He says uh, to all the students, he said, okay, everybody stop, put your pencils down, turn your test now on top of my desk. So three, 400 students all over the classroom began filing down, stacking their tests on top of the desk, except one guy. There was one guy at the very center, at the very top of the room, kept writing away. Professor thought, this kid is so into this test, he didn't even hear what I said. So he thought, I'll say it real loud this time, clear so he can understand. He said, um, I said, the test is over, stop, put your pencil down, turn your test now on top of my desk. Kid didn't even blink an eye, kept on writing as many answers as he could. Well, the professor knew he heard him that time, so it hacked him off. He said, if you don't stop, put that pencil down there, you're going to get an F on the test. Kid just kept writing away, just, I mean, putting in as many as he could. So, professor, fine, you're, you're getting an F on the test. So the professor walked back over to his desk, started putting his stuff back in his briefcase. Finally, the student finished. The student walked all the way down the steps. He walked right at the professor. He looked the professor square in the eye. He said, sir, do you know who I am? The professor said, son, that is a ridiculous question. I have three or 400 students in this classroom. Besides, I teach five other classes just like this. He said, I don't think so. He said, good. He walked over a stack of tests, lit them up halfway, put his test in there, put them down, turned around, walked out. <laughs> so he got away with getting an F on the test because the professor didn't have a clue who he was. Hey, I want you to know something. God knows who you are. Matter of fact, the Bible says he has every hair on your head numbered. In Psalms 139, he says, I knit you in your mother's womb. I knew you. God loves you. 
He created you for relationship with him. But there's a problem. And that problem is, the Bible goes on and says in Romans 3.23, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. You know what that means? That means every single one of us, we have all messed up. We've all sinned. Everybody. There's nobody, nobody in here better than anybody else. We've all sinned. And the Bible goes on and says, because of our sin, for the wages of sin is death. In Romans 6.23, it says, because we've sinned, we deserve to die. But not just physically die. We deserve to die and go to hell, be separated from God forever and eternity. But because he's a loving God, it goes on and says in Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ. God loved us so much, he sent his own son, Jesus, out of heaven, down the earth, down a cross to pay for our sins. And that's what Jesus said. You want true satisfaction? Look in verse 16. He says, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. Wow. That blows my mind. That God gave his one and only son for me. Now, y'all know that's been here this week. You know that my wife and I, we have one son. That's it. No other kids, no girls, no other boys, one son. My son, Jake. I'm going to tell you all this. If a terrorist was to walk through those doors tonight, get up on this stage and tell me in front of all y'all, hey, um, you either give me your son or I'm going to kill one of these people. You know what I'm going to say? Y'all better start praying. Because somebody in here is about to die. Because I, I, I'm not giving up my son for one of y'all. Matter of fact, if he made a deal with me, he said, I'll tell you what, okay, not just your son. Uh, you give me your son, and not just one person. If you don't do it, I'm going to kill a whole section of people. I, I don't care. I'm going to say, y'all, y'all better pray. Whatever section he picked, y'all better start praying right now. Uh, matter of fact, if he said the whole bunch of y'all, y'all all better get down on your knees and start praying at like a Catholic because y'all about to die. I'm just telling you, don't, don't look at me like that. Y'all are looking at me like, oh, mm, he should be more spiritual. He should, he should be like being willing to sacrifice. No, I love my boy. I love him. That's what blows my mind, that God gave his one and only son for me. I don't deserve that. I flat deserve to go to hell. That's what I deserve. That's what you deserve. That's what we all deserve. Because we sinned against a holy, righteous God. But he sent his son, Jesus, to die a horrible death for us. You know what? I, I, I go to churches all over the country and other parts of the world, stuff like that, and I see a lot of, when I go to these churches, see people wearing diamond crosses, gold crosses, silver crosses. Some churches I go to, they have like a cross like this, or they have one of those stained glass crosses. I was in Columbus, Ohio, you know, uh, last week or whenever it was. They had a huge cross right here hanging up, hanging down like this over the, over the front part right here so they could be preaching at the foot of the cross. That was really cool. And what's happened is, I think, and there's nothing wrong with that, but I think what's happened is we've gotten so accustomed to these beautiful crosses that we forget about what Jesus actually went through on the cross that day for us. It was not a pretty sight. Matter of fact, I'm going to tell you what they did. Uh, Jesus was an innocent man. They snatched him out of a crowd, beat him to a pulp with bats, sticks, hit him in the head, uh, spit on him, yanked his hair out of his beard. They cussed him out. 
They took him before a judge. The judge says this man has done nothing wrong with him. You do with him what you want to do with him. What did the crowd say? His blood be on us and on our children's children. So they took Jesus out and they crucified him. They flogged him, 39 lashes, with this whip that would just dig into his flesh and rip it down his chest and down his back. When they finished flogging him, they took a piece of wood about the size of a railroad cross tie, made him carry it up a hill called Golgotha, but he had lost so much blood, been beaten so bad, he was going through hypovolemic shock. He couldn't even carry up the hill the rest of the way, so they got a man out of the crowd that carried up the hill before him, got him on top of the hill, drove seven-inch spikes through his wrist and through his feet, and hung him on that cross, and he died on that cross for your sins and my sins. It was not a pretty sight. He went through that horrible, disgusting death. Do you know how most people died on the cross? A lot of people think, you know, loss of blood and stuff like that. No, most people died on the cross because of suffocation. See, because if you wanted a breath while you were on the cross, if you wanted a breath, you had to push through the nail in your feet just to get a breath, and then you would exhale. You want another breath? And then you exhale. And they would get so tired, so exhausted from pushing up, they couldn't push up anymore, so they would just hang there and suffocate and die. That's why the Roman soldiers, before they took Jesus down from the cross, they went to the thief on one side and the thief on the other. They took a bat, broke their legs, so they couldn't push up anymore and get a breath to make sure they were dead. Jesus was already dead. They thrust a spear through his side, but also they also prophesied, you know, that no bone in his body would be broken. Thrust the spear and blood and water poured out. He was already dead. Went through that for you. So all of your sins could be forgiven. So you could have a relationship with God. You say, well, Ronnie, well, that's good then. Because you said, you know, Jesus, you know, loved the whole world. God loves the whole world. Jesus died on the cross for the whole world. So, Ryan, that means the whole world gets to go to heaven, right? No. The whole world does not get to go to heaven. You say, well, who gets to go to heaven? You know what Jesus who died on the cross said? Here's what he said. Who gets to go to heaven? For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. You say, well, Ryan, that's good. (laughs) I got that. We're here on Tuesday night. We're not a bunch of atheists in here. We, we believe there's a God. Matter of fact, we believe, you know, one nation under God. We believe all that. We, we're, we're here. You know what the Bible says about that? So what? You say, what do you mean, so what? You said, I believe there's a God. The Bible says in James chapter 2, verse 19, you believe in one God, good. The demons of hell believe too, and they tremble. Satan knows there's a God. Satan was there when they put Jesus on the cross, when he was buried in the tomb, when he rose from the dead. Satan knows there's a God. There's a difference, though, between knowing about God and knowing him personally. And I'll show you what I'm talking about. I'm going to tell you all this story because y'all, y'all will never meet him. It's a friend of mine. His name's Jeff. And uh, Jeff's from Texas. Uh, we met in college. And Jeff's one of these guys that acts like he knows everybody. I mean, you know what I'm talking about? One just acts like he knows. And, and my friend Jeff takes it to a whole nother level. I'm not talking about like he knows like school board member, a mayor. This. My friend Jeff acts like he knows Major League Baseball players, NFL football players, uh, celebrities on the big screen, not on TV. I'm talking about the big movie screen, all that. 
uh, and, and I'm not talking about like he did it like once or twice. I'm talking about he does it all the time. So finally, it was like the straw that broke the camel's back. And I had had it up to here with him doing that, okay? He calls me up one day. He says, Ronnie, guess what? I said, what, Jeff? He said, guess who I met today? I said, who, Jeff? He said, I met Clyde Drexler. Now, if y'all are not NBA fans, Clyde Drexler used to play for the Houston Rockets, five slamma jamming, the University of Houston, won national championship, all that kind of stuff. Clyde the Glide Drexler. So my friend Jeff goes on, I'm not kidding you, for 30 minutes, acting like that Clyde, and he, they're like their best friends. He acts like he's got him on speed dial. He starts telling me all the stuff that, man, you don't understand all the stuff he does for people. He does stuff for the homeless. He does this, blah, blah, blah. This charity, that charity. Man, he's up on. And it keeps on and on and on. Finally, I said, hey, Jeff, stop. Stop. Jeff, stop. Jeff, stop. Hey, I tell you what I want you to do. I said, Jeff, I want you to call Clyde up. Tell him I want him to come over to my house. I, I want to feed him. I, I want to feed him steak. I want to grill out on steaks on the grill for him, and not just for him. I, I know he probably has an entourage and stuff like that. So his whole entourage. I said, because he's such a great guy. Matter of fact, if he wants shrimp on the barbie, I will grill shrimp for him. If he wants lobster, I will fly in lobster from Maine to put it on my grill for him because he's such an awesome dude and he does all this stuff for all these people. I will do something for him. You know what his response was? Ronnie, he is an NBA player. Do you understand? Professional athlete, you know, he's a celebrity. They're booked. They're booked way out. They, he can't do that stuff. I said, Jeff, I'll tell you what I want you to do. I don't, you call him up right now. I don't care how far out we have to do it. I don't care if it's on Christmas Day that he wants to do it. And I don't care if it's 10 years from now. You call, I will make my son stop and not open his Christmas presents until we, we feed Clyde the Glide Drexler because of all the stuff that he's done for everybody. Ronnie. He's not just a regular NBA player. He is a Hall of Famer. Do, do y'all see what I'm dealing with? Okay, so he goes on again for another 15 minutes. I'm going to speed this up for y'all, okay? He goes 15 more minutes. I stop and finally, I said, Jeff, stop, stop, Jeff, stop. I said, I want you to tell me exactly how you met Clyde. Tell me how. Do you know how my friend Jeff met Clyde? No joke. This is a true story. My friend Jeff from Houston is living, you know, down there. He's at the Galleria Mall. He is walking in Houston in the Galleria Mall with his checkbook open, looking at his checkbook as he's walking. He literally, as he's walking, bumps into Clyde, looks up and says, I'm sorry. Clyde says, no problem. Keeps on walking. That's it! That, that. That is the extent of the conversation. And my friend Jeff acts like they're best friends. Like they're best friends from childhood. Like they're tight. Like he can just pick up phone, call him anytime. And here's the deal. We laugh because we know people like that, right? But here's the deal. There's a bunch of you in this auditorium, and those of you watching online right now, are the same way with God. You act like you're tight with God. You got pet names for him. Call him the big man upstairs. The head coach in the sky, the, the big boss, El Jefe. You, get, you got all these names for him, but you don't know him. All that's happened is you just bumped into him at church. 
And I'm going to tell you what's going to happen. One day, you're going to stand before God, mano y mano. And it's just going to be you and God. And he's going to look at you and he's going to say, come on in. Or he's going to say, depart from me. I don't know you. And you're going to say, but God, I went to church. I did stuff. I wasn't like an anti-religious you know, guy. I, I, I believed that there, you, know, you were here and all that. I don't know you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. It don't have to be that way. You can know him tonight. I'm talking about going from knowing about him in your head to knowing about him in your heart. A relationship with him. And if you've never done that, I'm going to give you an opportunity to do that in just a minute. I'm not talking about were you religious, were you baptized as a baby, a kid, or anything like that. I'm talking about you making a personal decision to choose God. To have a relationship with him. And if you'd like to, you can. You say, how? I'm going to give you just a second. We're gonna, I'm going to have a chance, give you a chance to pray. It's going to go something like this. You can pray with me. If you've never done this, if you're willing to say, dear God, I know I'm a sinner. I know I've messed up. I want to ask you to forgive me of my sins. I turn from my sins, and I invite you into my life to be my boss, my Lord, my Savior. If you've never done that before, and you want to, in just a minute, right where you're seated, you can pray that prayer with me, and he'll change your life tonight. You say, okay, Ronnie, if I do that, what, what happens? What does that mean? You want some good news? This is why you came. You ready for the good news? Here it is. Verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that... Whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Do you know what that means? That same word for eternity on eternal perishing is the same word in the Greek for eternal life. What that means is you will not spend eternity forever and ever 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 in hell. But you will spend eternity forever and ever 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 in heaven. If if you don't know, if you're saying, "Well, I don't know," I'm kind of you know rolling the dice whether I'm going to get to go to heaven or not. You can know for sure right now tonight that you have a relationship with God. He'll change your life forever. When I graduated high school, I worked road construction one summer before I went to college. You talk about a motivation to go to college. Hey, parents. If your kids are kind of worrying, wondering about whether they're going to go to college, let them do a little road construction. That'll motivate them real quick to go to college. And um, so what we were doing is I was wor- working in Gainesville, Texas, and we were uh, building a road, and they would uh, drop this riprap on this levee. And so, I mean, this big old white rocks, and be on the side of the levee with the crane, and we had to pick them up by hand and level them out, smooth them out. And so we worked four tens. And then we worked two more tens on Friday and Saturday. So Thursday, you're ready to quit. But you think, man, if I work two more days, I can wait more than those two days I did the previous four. And so, you know, that's what would happen. And all these guys always make fun of me and stuff because I was the only Christian on the whole crew. And so during lunch, you know, standing around a dozer, trucks, stuff like that, they start making fun of me and all that. And what happens is, you know, you're out in the middle of nowhere. There's no microwave oven out there. And so the guys I'd work with, their wives would make these homemade tortillas, bring them out there. And so what you do is you roll them up in aluminum foil, stick them on the dozer on a manifold, and keep it hot because there's no microwave out there. And so then, lunchtime, bust open them tortillas, start eating, man, eat some good food. Well, and then start making fun of me then. Well, there was another guy on another crew that did the same thing with him. And always make fun of him, call him names, 
Say, can't believe you believe in Jesus stuff. One day, finally, as they're all standing around the you know, equipment stuff and the trucks, they ask him just point blank, hey, man, why, why you believe in that Jesus stuff? Why, why you believe he down on the cross? Why you believe all that stuff? He didn't do anything except put his food down. Walked over and got some hay and some straw and some sticks and made them to a circle on the ground. Still not saying one word, he went over to this bush by the trucks, found this caterpillar, got this caterpillar, went over and put it in the center of the circle, not saying a word, took a match, lit that match, threw it down, all of a sudden there was a ring of fire all the way around that caterpillar. And then he threw the match down, and he just sat back and started watching that caterpillar. All the guys focused in on that caterpillar. And they started thinking, we, we've done it this time. We've, we've pushed him too far. He's, he's lost it now. But they start watching the caterpillar. And all of a sudden, that caterpillar starts crawling around that circle. That caterpillar crawls the entire circle, looking for a way out, looking for a way of escape, looking to get out, realizing there was nowhere to go. He was totally surrounded by fire. That caterpillar crawled to the center of the circle and stopped and gave up and waited to die. That man, not saying one word, walked over to that caterpillar, bent down the ground, put his finger to that caterpillar, and let that caterpillar crawl up on his finger. And he looked up at all the guys standing around, and he said this, you want to know why I believe in Jesus? That was me. I had nowhere to go. No hope in my life. No reason to live. And Jesus reached down, he grabbed me, he saved me, he changed my life. That's why I believe in him. If your life is like that song of the Rolling Stones playing over and over and over again, that you can't find any satisfaction, though you've tried and you have tried and you have tried, you want true peace? You want true satisfaction? His name is Jesus. And he wants to change your life tonight right here if that's never taken place and you want to I'm going to pray that prayer and right where you're seated you can pray and invite Christ to come to your life and he'll change your life forever can you do me a favor can you give me two minutes nobody get up nobody leave this is the most important time of the entire service can we bow our heads and close our eyes please with heads bowed eyes closed you say Ronnie that's me I've never done that before I, I, I don't have any peace I don't have any purpose I want it. Then right now, right where you're seated, or whether you're watching online, you pray that prayer with me right now, and you invite Jesus to come to your life. Pray this prayer. Dear God, I know I'm a sinner, and I know I've messed up. And I want to ask you to forgive me of my sins. And God, I turn from my sins. And I invite you into my life to be my boss, my Lord, and my best friend. Thank you for dying on the cross for me. And thank you for saving me, Lord Jesus. Now with heads bowed and eyes closed and no one's looking around, I'm not going to come to you and embarrass you. I'm not going to call you out. I just want to pray for you. If you're here tonight, you say, Ronnie, for the first time in my life, I understood what I was doing. I meant business. I just prayed that prayer. I just committed my life to Jesus. If you just prayed that prayer with me, with heads bowed and eyes closed, would just those of you that prayed that prayer, 
Would you just look up at me right now and let me catch your eyes? Say, Ron, that's me. I just prayed that prayer. I just invited Jesus to come to my life. Yes, ma'am. And that's this section here. Say, Ron, that's me. I prayed that prayer. Yes, ma'am, right here. Anybody else over here? Say, Ron, that's me. I just prayed that prayer, and I just invited Jesus to come to my life. Anyone else over here? Yes, sir. Anybody else? Yes, sir. Anyone else? Say, Ron, that's me. I just prayed that prayer. I just invited Jesus to come to my life. Okay. Would just those that prayed that prayer just keep looking up just for a second? All right. Just those that prayed the prayer. I want you to know something. According to what the Bible says, God has forgiven you of everything you have ever done. He died on the cross for all of your sins. Not just some of them, all of them. And not only has he died on the cross for your sins, he's promised to come live in your life and he will never leave you. There'll be people leave us, abandon us, die on us. He says, but I will never leave you. So you say, okay, so what am I supposed to do now? You're supposed to take a stand for him now that you've invited Christ to come to your life. You're to let other people know. You say, how? Here's what we're going to do. In just a second, we're going to stand all of this building with heads bowed and eyes closed. When we do, I'm going to pray. When I say amen, Brother Dave's going to lead us in singing. All of you that prayed that prayer, I'll be right there. Matter of fact, Pastor, would you go ahead and come on up? Pastor will be right here. I'll be right over here. We have another pastor that will be over here. Uh, one of our other pastors, we're, we're located. Beecher. Right here, Beecher. Beecher. He'll be right over here. All of you that prayed that prayer, you come to me, you come to Pastor, you come to Beecher. All you have to say is, hey, I prayed that prayer with Ronnie. And uh, you say, what are we going to do? We're just going to introduce to a person that's called encouraging. They're going to take you up the side. They're going to pray with you. They're going to encourage you. But some of you have done this on Sunday, Sunday morning, or Sunday night, or last night, and you haven't come forward yet. You need to make this public tonight. You do not need to put it off another day. He's, he's gonna, you're going to be standing before him. And if you're ashamed of, of him on Judgment Day, he said, I'm going to be ashamed of you. So he says, right now, you are to take a stand and let people know. So when we stand, I pray, I say amen, you step out and come. And deacons, those are our deacons and deacons' wives and encouragers. When we stand and I say amen, you step out and come and come stand around this front row right here. Could you do me a favor? Can we all please stand now with heads bowed and eyes closed? Heads bowed, eyes closed. As soon as I say amen, you pray that prayer. You step out and come. Let's pray. Father, thank you for those that trust the Lord and Savior. I pray, God, that you give them courage and boldness to take a stand for you right now. Bless their obedience, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. See, please. Come on right now. Come help us, please. To follow.